There's going to be a new word every day that you have to text in. Today's word is TARK. T-A-R-K. And none of you can text in TARK. I think at first you guys were just wrong because we got TALK and TARN and PARK. But now people are 100% screwing with us because Jeff sent in Stark and Taro. It's not even close. And then Sean sent in Tarn again. Tevin sent in Tark, but spelled it like Torque with a Q-U-E on the end. Thank you to Matt, who actually sent in Tark. Uh, and Ryan sent in Tara. So we're struggling here a little bit. Oh, yeah, and then Jameson and Take with some countdown emoji. There's a countdown note that. Yeah, it's very confusing. And then James also said spell check changes the word when you hit send. So apparently none of you can send Tark. Uh, and none of you are going to win $2,024 because you can't do so. Maybe tomorrow's word you'll be able to send in. But Tark's the word. Text it to 702-364-1100. What's tomorrow? Stark? We can't give it away. <laughs> they got to listen in. Well, it's not that. Believe me. I mean, it might I, be. I we should guessing. make it Stark every day. See if people can actually. If we did Tark every day, would they finally say, get it? If we if we just do Tark every day, we might have one guy, yeah. one person get it Ed right. will win. He might. He'll be the only one that submits it properly. So if you want to try to win $2,024, please text TARK, T-A-R-K, to 702-364-1100. If you text something that's not TARK, you're not entered to win. You'll get a new word tomorrow that is not TARK. It's not TARO either, by the way. And you might be able to spell that one properly. Uh, but that's our giveaway. We're doing that uh, for a while now. What do we got? We got 29 days of uh, keywords here. So a lot of chances for you to win $2,024. All right. Ed, we've got uh, one of my favorite parts of reporting that I saw this morning. And this is from Zach Knows Ball on Twitter, who's just a Bears fan. He tweeted out, Justin Fields unfollowed the Bears on Instagram. Oh, man. This is my favorite kind of reporting. Oh, man, this is great. Oh, I love it so much. Who follows Justin Fields closely enough to know who he follows? I mean, listen, he posted a screenshot. Because you, when you're on Instagram, you can go to somebody's account, and it'll tell you how many people follow them and how many people uh, that they follow. And then you can go, which is what this guy did, you can go to who Justin Fields follows and they'll give you a search bar. Isn't that like X? Yes, but they'll give you a search bar, which Twitter does not. And in the search bar, you can type in Bears. Chicago Bears. Nothing. Well, actually, uh, Jeremy Chicago and Chicago on DC. He follows two people that have Chicago in their username. But the Chicago Bears do not pull up on Instagram. So Justin Fields unfollowed the Bears on Instagram. Do we know if he ever followed them? No, I do not know that. I don't <laughs> know that for never, sure. Maybe he never followed them. That is them. a good point. He may have never been following them. But he still has them in his bio. Oh, that's a good. That so is a that's good, what counts. Ooh, that's good okay. reporting. That's what right. counts. There yeah. you go, Danny. Although Kyler Murray at one point deleted the Cardinals completely from his bio and all of his pictures of him in Cardinals gear, but well, then he, ended up staying with the he Cardinals. He still has pictures in yeah. Cardinals. So even if he were to delete everything, Kyler Murray still ended up staying with the Cardinals after all this happened. Right. So we'll see what Fields does next. But this is my favorite kind of reporting. This is what I enjoy thoroughly <laughs> is when we get reports. Like, I can't wait to get, like, Josh Jacobs has unfollowed the Raiders on Instagram. Let me check. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Better make sure that hasn't already happened. Right. He's hearing that they're going to give him the franchise tag. <laughs> these are my 
favorite things is when we get this type of reporting. Justin Fields unfollowed the Bears on Instagram, which obviously means they're dumping him and they're going Ooh, to He on. still follows them and ah. still has running back for the Las Vegas Raiders in his bio. Look okay. at Jacobs. Can you can you help me out? When's the last time he posted something? Uh, his last post was for Nike football about five days ago. Okay. okay. So relatively He's a- on recently there. active, right? If you were, you were going to be like, his last post was 2021, we'd be like, all right, maybe Josh Jacobs just doesn't log into Instagram. Right. And there's a video of him blowing up uh, footballs at the Wilson Complex and signing them. Okay. He had to blow them up and sign them? I guess so. <laughs> They didn't bring him in. Didn't have footballs. someone do that for him. <laughs> I I don't know. He's like there's a there's a picture of him like putting the ball on something to fill it up or something like. that. Oh, I think is that from the fan experience? Because apparently at the fan experience they had like a you could watch how they make the footballs type thing. Yeah, um, with our build a ball experience ah. at Super Bowl Fifty Eight. Oh, so he built he All built right. a ball. Okay. All right. I was about to say it's tough life for running backs. They got to find second jobs in the off season because none of them can get paid. Yeah. They got to go so make the footballs. Up footballs. Yeah. So, teams can use the franchise tag starting today in the NFL. Will the Raiders use it on Josh Jacobs? I think more often, more apt that they will. You think so? I think so. So their options. Wouldn't you? No. God no. What would you do? I'd let him walk. Oh, you'd let him walk. You'd let, you 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 wouldn't do anything with him. No. You'd let him yeah. Go. Their options are franchise tag. Which is a one-year deal, and for Jacobs, it'll be fourteen million six million dollars. They can let him walk, hit free agency, or they can sign him to a new contract. Those are their options with Jacobs. Franchise tag again, fourteen point six million, uh, and it's that high, by the way, because the Raiders gave him a new deal last year instead of just letting him play on the franchise tag last season. Otherwise, it would only be like twelve point eight, I think it is. Yeah. If we take the fourteen point six million dollar number. Only two running backs in the league have a higher average salary than $14.6 million, and that is Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara. There are two other running backs that have a cap hit that's going to be over $14 million, Nick Chubb and Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is probably going to get reworked, uh, so he's likely won't be 14-plus. I don't know Chubb's situation as well. He's coming off an injury, so I don't know what the Browns will want to do there. But is Josh Jacobs, even though it's the franchise tag and it's a one-year deal, is he good enough to warrant being one of the five highest-paid running backs in the NFL? I don't know if he is, given what we saw from Zeus. <laughs> Zeus! Given what we saw from Zamir White and uh, and what he can do. I mean, d- didn't that lose a little of Jacobs' uh, power luster. to be? Luster in, in terms of how – I think he's a good back. Yep. But how much they need him? Yep. I'm not so sure, given Josh, what we saw from Zemir White. Josh Jacobs had his best career season two, years, two ago. years ago. He led the league in rushing. The Raiders won six games. Yeah. Like, the idea that Jacobs' production leads to any level of winning is just, it's not there. And so, giving Josh Jacobs anything that's a, a big salary, I think is a bad idea. Now... The franchise tag is one year. Like part of the problem with running back salaries or contracts is when you give them three, four years, right. and then you get two and a half seasons. You get one and a half of seasons really good at production, right? Because they get hurt or they have one good year, one bad year, whatever it is. So if it's one year on the franchise tag, it's not that bad because you're not committed beyond this upcoming 
season. You're not going to be going into 2025 with, oh, God, this contract we gave to Jacobs. It's just 2024. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, and you move on. So it's not that bad, but I still do not think it's smart to give him a franchise tag where he's going to get $14.6 million and will be one of the five highest paid, highest cap hit running backs in the league because I just do not believe he is that big of a difference maker for wins and losses. This could be the first major difference of opinion from the head coach oh. and the general manager. Oh, Because the general manager might act like a general manager and say, <laughs> we're not paying a running back $14 million. Uh, didn't he allow Eckler to uh, pursue trade, yeah. uh, trade he, options? So Telesco gave Eckler one contract. Because he was an undrafted free agent. So technically gave him two. But he was an undrafted free agent. He gave him one fairly significant contract. It wasn't that big of a deal, though. And then this past last offseason, Eckler wanted a new contract. Right. And Tom Telesco and the Chargers said, we're not giving it to you. You can go find a trade partner. Right. Find, find a team a that partner. does want to do that, and then we'll figure out if we can trade you to that team. And Eckler couldn't find it, so he yeah. just stayed with the Chargers. Exactly. Paid on his contract. I don't believe Telesco is going to want to give – Jacobs a new deal right. um, I, it, obvious caveat to that if Josh Jacobs is willing to sign like a three year deal where he gets five million a year sign him up like that's great right that's a cheap that's an extremely cheap contract but Jacobs is going to want 10 plus yes. million a year whatever it is I have a hard time believing Telesco is going to want to do that now on the other side of the room I have a hard time believing Antonio Pierce is not going exactly. to want to do that because Josh Jacobs are rated that's right this here's my prediction the franchise tag is the compromise between the two of them. So you get him for one year. I think I I bet that's what happens. I bet Pierce is like we can't let him go. He's a the heart and soul of the team. Right. And Telesco's like we can't give a running back thirty million dollars right. over two years or whatever it's going to be. And I bet the compromise is all right. We can do this one year option. We can franchise tag him, and then he's a Raider for one more season at fourteen point six million. And next offseason, we can figure out what we want to do if he truly is the heartbeat of the team and we have to have him. Sure, we'll sign him again if we go 6-11 and 11 and he doesn't matter to the wins and right. losses. Then you let him walk. Yeah, I, I that would be my guess is we get a compromise between Telesco and Pierce and it's the franchise tag at the end of the day because that – I could see them disagreeing on this. The, oh. This would be the first major – this could be the first major – could be the first major disagreement. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't think that's – yeah, I, I think because everything Pierce has said, if it were up to Pierce, Josh Jacobs would have a five-year contract right oh, now. Oh, absolutely. He would have already, he would have already, He'd signed, already signed it. it. He would have given him five yeah. years fully guaranteed. Yeah. He'd have been like, who's McCaffrey? You're getting paid more than him. Get over here. Like, that's what he would have He'd done. have the McCaffrey rule. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how many rules are going to be out there? There'll be a lot of rules. There, everyone, every time they play somebody, it's the McCaffrey rule or oh. it's the... It's the, the Tyson Bajant rule. It's the Herbert rule. Well, there weren't Tyson Bajant rules because Antonio no, Pierce because, didn't know who Tyson Bajant was. Right. Didn't know the and name of the And it didn't appear the Raiders did either. No, they didn't. So there were no Tyson Bajant rules, unfortunately. Um, the other thing on the running backs, uh, the Raiders hired Cadillac Williams to be their running back coach. Uh, Williams, really interesting with, with Cadillac Williams because he was the running back coach at Auburn from 2019 to 2023. He kept that position through three different head coaches. Like every head coach that came in there was like, good right, recruiter. We're keeping along Cadillac Williams. I don't know. Auburn hasn't been very good. A lot of times, I know. A lot of times, though, that's the deal. Yeah, I. They're also probably part of it where he's like a Auburn legend, 
right. and they're like, yeah, it's the running back coach, whatever. He can right. stick around. Um, but he left Auburn after this past season. So, again, he was there through three different head coaches. He he's I went back and read some of these. He's given some quotes, kind of like Antonio Pierce gives about the Raiders, where it's like, I don't coach at Auburn. I coach for Auburn, where he's just like, everything is about how great Auburn is. And then he left. I don't know why he left Auburn, but he did. Is he a Raider? <laughs> well, if he got hired by <laughs> Antonio Pierce, he's a Raider. How so, about Auburn with the three coaches between 19 and 23? Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great. Not great for Auburn. Hasn't been hasn't been uh, smooth sailing. I think everyone hired is perceived to be a Raider. You would think so. I mean, you're not bringing anyone who's not a Raider. The five draft picks they're going to have, they're all Raiders. The other four won't matter. Yeah, those aren't very good. Those, those six through nine aren't going to matter. You know what I'm excited to see is next offseason, this time next year, we find out which coaches weren't Raiders because Antonio Pierce fired them. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't Raiders. <laughs> it's like the Raiders have turned over uh, 90% of their coaching staff. Antonio Pierce, none of them were Raiders. Right. <laughs> That'll be fun. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, it's Bischoff's Briefs. It's Bischoff's Briefs, brought to you by Paul Law. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. The rules of Scrabble are simple. First, each player pretends to mix the tiles while trying to feel for the letter A. Bischoff's Briefs. The game does not officially begin until one player reminds all the others that the first word scores double. That player is known as the Scrabble Jackass and is then handed the box top for any further rule clarifications. Brief. Players then take turns laying down words until someone does a bad job hiding the fact that they drew a blank. Bischoff's briefs. Upon seeing the blank draw, each player must make a bad joke about the tiles in their possession. Bischoff's briefs. Play continues until each turn takes longer than open heart surgery, and the game ends when one person uses the last of their letters. Even though at this point no one likes that person, they're still referred to as the winner. Bischoff's briefs. And that's how you scrabble. All right, Ed, I got some numbers for you. I spent our lovely President's Day off uh, looking into some UNLV play-by-play stuff here. We are looking at possessions in the final minute of a one-possession game for UNLV basketball. There have been 22 offensive possessions for UNLV this season. In those 22 possessions, DJ Thomas has been the main guy. He has had basically 12 of those possessions were his possession. He has scored eight points. He's shot two of five from the floor. He's been fouled quite a bit, but has only made four of eight free throws. Uh, And he has three turnovers and no assists in those stretches. UNLV has taken nine shots in these types of possessions. Thomas has taken five of them. So Kevin Kruger has relied on DJ Thomas heavily at the end of close games. They love to just give him a high ball screen. They run the shot clock down, give him a high ball screen, and see if he can score. And so far, it's been extremely ineffective. It's been bad. They are scoring 0.67 points per possession on DJ Thomas possessions in the final minute of one-score games. For reference, UNLV in all situations this year is scoring 1.1 points per possession. And on the other 10 possessions that were not DJ Thomas possessions, they're scoring 1.3 points per possession. Now, most teams in basketball, close game, final minute, one score, they're going to give their best player a ball screen and see if that guy can go score. That is not unusual. That is not something that is specific 
to Kevin Kruger or UNLV. But this is where I think it's weird. One of UNLV's strengths this year is that they do not rely on one player. UNLV has five guys with a usage rate over 20% this season. DJ Thomas, his usage rate is 21.7%. It's the third highest on the team. But in these last-minute situations, DJ Thomas's usage rate is 54.5%, and nobody else on the team has a usage rate over 20%. So UNLV, a team that uses everybody on the floor, all five guys on the floor are capable of scoring most of the time, capable of scoring. They don't use that in the final minute. They go, it's DJ Thomas time. He is taking the shot. Part of this is on DJ Thomas because he does not pass in these scenarios. Again, he has zero assists in this scenarios. He doesn't look to pass. So I've talked about it before. The St. Mary's game was the first time we really saw it. He did it against Loyola Marymount as well, and there's one other game that I'm blanking on where he gets a ball screen, he gets into the paint, he takes an eight-foot off-balance floater when there are four bodies in the paint. Was it Utah State? Uh, yes, it was Utah State. He missed, they did, they he did missed have it a at the buzzer. Yeah, they did have a chance at that one. He takes shots regardless of what the defense shows him. Whether he gets open or whether there's bodies crashing in the paint, he does not kick out in these scenarios. Guy who's been a great assist guy all season in these scenarios, he goes into hero mode. I think he's the to leading the freshman shot. in the country with assists. He wants to take the shot, and he always does. He doesn't pass in these scenarios. But to me, this is less about DJ Thomas, and it's more about Kevin Kruger. Because for whatever reason, Kevin Kruger is treating DJ Thomas in these final minute scenarios the way he treated Bryce Hamilton. And Bryce Hamilton was top 15 in the country in usage rate each of his last two seasons at UNLV. That was normal. That was their offense for 40 minutes was Bryce Hamilton, what can you do for us? Not this year. This year's team is they spread everything around. And Bryce Hamilton became one of the 10 highest scorers in program history. DJ Thomas is not that good of a scorer right now. Maybe he'll get there, but he's not that good as a scorer. And yet when they get into these final minute situations, Kevin Kruger is asking DJ Thomas to be what Bryce Hamilton was. And Thomas is not that good yet. He's not good enough to just, here, you take the ball, you go score, you take the shot no matter what in these scenarios. But Kevin Kruger continues to ask DJ Thomas to do that, and it's not working. Well, you have the numbers there. I mean, I, I do agree that he doesn't look to pass. Yeah. Um, and there's got to be people open in the corner when they come and double yeah. uh, or elsewhere. So, I don't know. Maybe maybe the kid takes too much on himself and he thinks he should be the guy. And, he you know, the other night he has a great game and misses the free throws. But he probably, you know, takes it on that he's the leader of the team. He is – here's the thing. He should be a part of the offense in the final minute. He should be the main guy in the offense in the final minute. But the fact that his usage rate goes from 21% in all situations to 55%, it, that's the part of it that's just bizarre to me because they do not use the other players on the team. In fact, the guys that have taken field goal attempts in these final minute scenarios, Thomas has taken five of them. The only other two guys that have attempted a shot are Luis Rodriguez Keelan Boone. and Justin Webster and then Keelan Boone, Keelan Boone five, the other had night. his first right. last night or two nights ago, right. I should say. When we've seen UNLV at their very best, Caleb Boone has been dominant. Rob Whaley has been dominant. Neither one of them have taken a field goal attempt in the final minute of a one-possession game. 
not one of them have done that, which is crazy to me that you've got two guys that have been scoring as efficient as they have this year in the post, and they don't even look for those players. Now, Caleb Boone did try to throw a high-low pass to Rob William, threw it out of bounds with like three minutes to go against Nevada. So maybe Kruger said, all right, let's not give the ball to Caleb Boone. He's going to throw it straight out of bounds. But they, we've had a whole season of close games, and they don't, they don't get the ball. They don't like, and they don't get it from a post up, but they also don't get it from DJ Thomas. Because the other strange part about this team to me that we don't see throughout the course of the game, they don't pass to the roll man on pick and rolls. Ever? I never. I mean, how many times have Rob Whaley or Caleb Boone scored after setting a right. screen and like cutting to the basket? To me. Maybe Rob Whaley can't catch the ball while moving. But to me, DJ Thomas and Rob Whaley as a pick and roll should be lethal. You're, Rob Whaley scores on everybody if he gets oh, yeah. the ball in the paint. If he's in the paint, yeah. Like, and he obviously can dunk. You're telling me he that, loves You're telling me a pick and roll between those two where defenses have to decide okay, which way they're going, who they're going to take away. Rob Whaley's running straight down the lane after setting a screen, or DJ Thomas is coming off the coming screen. Coming off the screen and doing you're, what he does. I mean, you can play ball screens perfectly, obviously, and they don't get anywhere. But you're you're going to make defenses decide. All right, we got to send a help side defender right. somewhere. I, I'm surprised that's not a bigger part of their offense. And if it was, that would be phenomenal in these late game scenarios because then you still have DJ Thomas as an option. But oh god, if he they, sees that he's not open, right? They blitzed him, and now Rob Whaley's right. running down the wide lane open with a small six one guard trying to rotate down to stop a dunk. He's about to dunk on that right. kid and end his basketball career. So I, that's weird that they don't do that over the course of the entire game, but it would be great in these late-game scenarios. So I think that they have been over-reliant on DJ Thomas in, in these, these scenarios. In these types of scenarios. And that they need to do a little bit different. And DJ Thomas needs to pass as well. Well, been look, they obviously scenarios. think a lot of the kid. Yeah, and they should. And he's, he's really, really good. good. He he's was really good. awesome for 38 minutes right. or whatever against right. them. He's the best player on the floor. For 38 minutes against Nevada. And they just can't get it done in a lot of these close games. And a lot of it's been because they don't do anything but dribble the clock out, set a high ball screen for DJ Thomas. Oh, and they said afterwards, struggle to finish. Yeah. And he and I think part of the problem with the whole DJ Thomas high ball screen is that Thomas, he rarely gets all the way to the rim. Right, DJ Thomas. No, he pulls up for short right. jumpers or runners. His his uh, field goal percentage in the mid range is like forty five right. or forty six percent, which is good, right? Like that's close enough to where you're like, all right, that's an efficient enough shot that you can take some of those. But they're settling for the kind of least efficient shot right. they can get to win a game right. or to tie a game, right? And they're not even giving themselves a chance at a more efficient shot. If you listen, if the other team's defense just plays great and you have to take a mid range jumper down one with five seconds left. That's fine. That's that's not the end of the world. But when that's sort of the best case scenario for your play, or that it has been all year, yeah, that's not ideal because that is the best. When you give him a ball screen in the final minutes and he's not looking to pass, the best case scenario is, is a mid range jumper. jumper. Now, if he starts passing more, you might get some open right. threes. Problem is, is Luis Rodriguez is the guy standing in the corner. And, <laughs> uh. Here's the thing: Thomas has the, his possessions in the final minute have been so bad. Luis Rodriguez three pointers are way more efficient. Okay, now let's not go crazy. They are. They are. They are. He's a 30% shooter. Yeah, that's .9 points per possession. Thomas is at .67. It's way better. 
If they turned you imagine all what of, you just said? If they, I know that's but I know he's bad at shooting threes and it's still better than Thomas. If they had taken all of DJ Thomas's possessions and made Luis Rodriguez And it was a Luis Rodriguez three, corner three. They have a better chance of winning pro- the game. They'd probably have like two more wins. And my 13 and 5 would be looking good right oh, now. Oh, you'd be in so I'd much be, better I'd shape. Be so much better. Oh, you Don't laugh, Danny. It. It's still in play. What are you laughing at? They got to win out to get there, Ed. Sorry, Ed. They got to win out. I hey. know they I know they they have Five losses right now, and they could win out. I don't know if it's happening. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's still in play. <laughs> Until they lose a sixth, it's still in play, my friend. Well, they, they're three, three or four games left in the season. They've lost to all those teams. Oh, that's not good. No, they didn't lose to Wyoming. No, but they've lost to Air Force. They lost Colorado State. They lost San Diego State, and they lost to Nevada. That's four of their last six yeah. games. He's saying they got to avoid a sweep oh, against okay. four of the teams. Right. Okay, ah, not looking good, Ed. Probably not. And two of those four are on the road. Nevada and Wyoming. Nevada and Air, Air Force. Force. Oh, Nevada. Wyoming oh, you're talking about the teams they've already lost to. Yeah. Yes. Nevada and Air Force. Well, yeah. they'll they'll win those. Come on. Will they? <laughs> they got to go yeah. six and zero oh for your thirteen they, and five. They got to be up by at least four with a minute to go to have a chance. <laughs> I'm if not. They're, if they're up four. If they're up five with you know twelve seconds left, they might lose. We'll talk about this uh, tomorrow, but I think they win easily tomorrow. I mean, Air Force sucks. Right? Did Air Force beat anybody this weekend, or is this? Are they still only one win in conference play, and it was the thirty-two point win over UNLV? Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say there's still one win. Okay, they might have played one of the bad teams in the conference. There's a lot of them. There's four of them that are just awful, terrible programs. They might have. Did they beat? Uh, no, their last loss was you, or their last win was UNLV. Yeah, they lost to San Jose State on Tuesday. They lost to San Jose. State. Oh, they had a whole week off. Yeah, they had eight days they had to prepare. Yeah, they, they had eight days to prepare. Watch out, UNLV. All right, coming up next. Ryan Wallace joins the show. When he's not covering the Knights, he's playing with his goats. One may even be named Ovechkin. This is the VGK Update with Ryan the Hockey Guy. Listen to him Monday through Friday at 4 on the VGK Insiders on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Good morning, Ryan. Hey, Ryan. Morning, boys. What's up? All right, very important question. Mm-hmm. How many AHL teams could beat the Sharks? Mm. Wow. Um, I mean, like on a given day, probably all of them. <laughs> uh, they obviously they are <laughs> rebuilding, but they're not that yeah. good. Uh, yeah. How how are they this bad? Like this seems like they've been this bad for a couple of years now. Are they are they going to be good anytime soon? It doesn't feel like it. Um, I mean, you know, like you look at what's kind of gone out of their lineup. Obviously, we remember the heyday of Vegas San Jose when the rivalry was on fire and Evander Kane was yelling at everybody and Ryan Reeves was talking about being the Muffin Man. And, like, I don't know, there was so much happening in that rivalry. And you had Joe Thornton and uh, Joe Pavelski and, and Brent Burns and Eric Carlson. And all of those players are no longer playing for the San Jose Sharks. Uh, and then you've got, you know, Timo Meyer. He moved on to greener pastures. Uh, well, maybe with the Devils. And Tomas Hurdle is injured. And Logan Couture has been kind of battling things through, for the last year and a half. So they just don't have many high end NHL players in their lineup. Uh, and, you know, the fact of the matter is they knew that they were going to be bad. You knew that there was going to be a wave where. 
you're trying to remake your roster into something better, and it's probably going to be another year or two of real pain for San Jose before things start to look up. Uh, dream big for me on this one because I know Mason Morelli was uh, likely just a short-term option. Long-term mm-hmm. wise, there's probably not a lot of plans for Mason Morelli to be in the lineup, but dream big for a second for me. If Mason Morelli is in the lineup for a longer stretch here, why is it? Like, what does he do to actually get that spot and what could he do well? Well, I mean, I think the the biggest thing that you're looking at with Morelli, and you saw it in the game yesterday, is that he's got kind of offensive instincts in a fourth-line type of of gameplay, right? And so with Will Carrier out of the lineup, and and listen, like I know a lot of people are going to hear this and be like, okay, Will Carrier, how much of an impact is he giving you? Well, when you look at last season for the Golden Knights, he scored 16 goals. Like, Will Carrier gave you offense – from down your lineup, and you need that often over the course of the season to win games. You need it in the playoffs to win games. And so this is not a slight on Jonas Ronbjerg at all, but there's just no threat to score a goal when Jonas Ronbjerg's on the ice. You know that he's going to do the right things. He's not going to be on the wrong side of the puck. He's just not going to be able to finish at a rate that's going to give you production from your fourth line. So I think for Mason Morelli, uh, his calling card is you've got to play the right way. You've got to be uh, responsible with the puck. You've got to give Bruce Cassidy solid minutes on a fourth line in a fourth line role. But when you have an opportunity to put the puck in the back of the net, you got to bury it. And he did a good job of that yesterday. What would you, because of the past injury situation and the position, what would you, if you're Bruce Cassidy, make the percentage for the goalies the rest of the year? Oh man, um, I. I mean, part of me feels like you want to get Aiden Hill into a into a solid rhythm, right? Like, obviously, if you're looking at it right now with three and four games every single week between now and the end of the regular season, I think you have to have Logan Thompson play at least one game a week would be kind of the, the ideal scenario. But, I, I mean, I think two and one, uh, two games for Aiden Hill, one game for Logan Thompson, rotate through that type of rotation the rest of the season unless Aiden struggles and Logan's playing lights out and you need wins and you can kind of be fluid with that. But I think right now you you need, out of the final 27 games or so, I, I think you need Aiden Hill to be comfortable and confident suiting up in, and playing well in at least 16 to 18 of those games. The interesting part there is the idea of, of needing wins, and this is what we talked about earlier in the show. I, I'm curious what Bruce Cassidy defines as like important for this team as far as like playoff seeding goes because they, they're obviously they could blow it completely, but they're going to be in the playoffs, right? They're not going to fall completely out of a playoff spot at this point. So does he like what I'm curious is how much value does he put in getting the one seed, chasing down Vancouver, or how much value does he put in staying in the two so they have home ice against Edmonton? Or does he not really care because, hey, we can win if we have to go to Edmonton for four of the seven games? Because to me, that might dictate when Bruce Cassidy decides, oh, we need wins and I need to play Aiden Hill in five straight games. Because if he doesn't care that much about home ice in the first round, then keep Aiden Hill as fresh as possible and keep mixing Logan Thompson in. But if, hey, he thinks we need to have home ice, then you might rely on Aiden Hill a lot more than maybe we would expect the rest of the way. So from from Bruce Cassidy's perspective, I think that he believes they can win in any scenario, right? Like they can start on the road as a three seed. They can start at home as a two seed. Um, 
I don't know how realistic catching Vancouver is going to yeah. be. And look, like, listen, I know that Minnesota put seven goals on them <laughs> in the third period yesterday, but like, I, I just don't think you're going to be able to make up 10 points over 27 games and catch Vancouver. I just don't see it. So, you know, realistically, what this is looking at is either Vegas and Edmonton or Vegas and LA as LA started to kind of put together some wins and, and they're playing better of late. So, all that to say, if I'm Bruce Cassidy, I feel confident and comfortable really in either scenario, whether you start as a two seed at home or on the road against the Edmonton Oilers or even the Los Angeles Kings. Now, that being said, organizationally, I think the goal is to finish as high as you can possibly finish, right? Like, I think this team likes to win <clears throat> the Pacific Division. This team likes to have home ice advantage for as long as humanly possible in the playoffs. So, I think that you're kind of caught in that middle ground where, you know, if you're Bruce Cassidy, maybe you want to pull off the throttle a little bit and and just get your game in order. But I think from an organizational perspective, you want to win. You want to win as many games as possible. You want to get home ice advantage through every round that you can. And you want to chase down the Vancouver Canucks. So I, I think that all these games are viewed as important opportunities to put points in the bank because you don't know. Maybe Vancouver stumbles, maybe they falter a little bit, and now you're in a one seed and you're avoiding the Edmonton series altogether. Are you surprised if we see Eichel before the playoffs? Uh, No, no. I I expect that we'll see Eichel. Uh, I mean, you kind of hear whispers here and there that that it's it's looking more like – coming back sometime in March. I, I would be surprised if Eichel did not play the rest of the regular season. All right, last one before we let you go, because Shea Theodore could be back today, could be back sometime mm-hmm. very soon. When this team is fully healthy, are the best six defensemen the same six we thought at the beginning of the year? Man, um, that's a really good question, because I feel like Caden Korzak's got something to say about it, right? Like, he has been really good. Um, I mean, you're not touching Alec Martinez and Alex Petrangelo. You're not touching Braden McNabb and Shea Theodore. I guess the biggest question that you have right now is, do you have anyone that can kind of improve upon or give you a different wrinkle of what you get with Haig and White Cloud? I mean, obviously, Korzak has been a really solid, solid find for the Golden Knights, just in terms of how his game has matured this season. But he's also waiver-exempt and allows you a little bit more roster flexibility. So I would argue that it's probably as good as it's going to get with those six players in the lineup. But I do think that if you need something on the right side, Caden Korzak's your guy. He is Ryan Wallace, VGK Insider Show, also pre-post and intermission over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. The Golden Knights have a lot of games this week, so there's a lot of Ryan uh, that you can hear over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, guys. Uh, Ryan Wallace, again, Fox Sports Las Vegas. That is, uh, coming into the year, the Golden Knights' top six defensemen. Like, it was set. It was the same six from the playoff run to the Stanley Cup and everything. And somehow there's a legitimate conversation that Caden Korzak might deserve to be in the lineup when they're right. all healthy. When they're all healthy. Which, granted, we haven't seen that very often. Shea Theodore's been out for a long time. But that could be happening right now, where the Golden Knights are actually healthy. And when we get to the postseason, again... Will they all be healthy? It's hockey. There's a good chance they're not, but there's well, a chance. Well, with the Knights, there is a good chance right. they will be. There's a chance that Bruce Cassidy might say, hey, Caden Korzak's one of our six best defensemen. i got to get him in the lineup. Right. And we saw it once. Zach Whitecloud got Zach healthy scratch. healthy scratch. So maybe that actually happens again in the postseason where what was a strength of the team 
uh, gets better. I right. mean, if Cassidy is like, yeah, Korzak's better than White Cloud or whoever, then you're probably saying, yeah, the team actually got better from within at what was a position of strength and, by the way, depth, too. It's not like they right. just have good guys at the top. It was the depth that was key there. All right, we got more tickets to give away. If you want to go watch some college baseball, the 2024 Las Vegas College Baseball Classic is out at Las Vegas Ballpark March 1st through the 3rd. We're getting Oklahoma, Cal, Ohio State, and Pitt are all playing out at Las Vegas Ballpark, and we've got two tickets for you. 702-364-1100. That is the phone number. 702-364-1100. Caller 11 at 702-364-1100 is taking home a pair of tickets to go watch some college baseball. You're listening to The Press Box on ESPN Las Vegas. I appreciate all of our listeners for being trolls. Um, the amount of non-Tark text messages we've gotten have been great. For anybody just tuning in, you could win $2,024. We're doing a contest for the next 29 days. We're going to give you a keyword every day. And if you text that keyword to 702-364-1100, you're going to be entered to win $2,000. And $24. Today's word is Tark, T-A-R-K, Jerry Tarkanian, Tark, T-A-R-K. Nobody either gets that or they're just screwing with us. I believe they're all just screwing with us. Robson and Tara, somebody already did that, Rob, sorry. A different Rob said take. Um, Lisa also said take. Nicole texted talk. Brian went with park. park. You guys are great. I Blaming it on the it. autocorrect. I appreciate all of it. Yes, William said spill check lame. So I think he got spell checked on spell check. <laughs> uh, so this is going well. I appreciate this. If you want to win $2,024, the way to enter is to text the word TARK, T-A-R-K, to 702-364-1100. Anything else to screw with me and you're not entered to win. I won't feel sorry for you, but I appreciate everybody screwing with us um, because that's exactly what I would do to everybody as well. Ed, today is Justin Verlander's birthday. He's uh, suffering a little. Yeah, he's got we'll a little we'll, setback. Yeah, we'll see if he's going to pitch. He's yeah. like he's behind in his in his throwing process. Yeah, but he's then, suffering a little. But then he threw. I was like, all right, if you were hurt, would you actually be pitching? I was very confused. How old is he now? I feel like he's fifty. <laughs> 41. <laughs> he's got to be 40. 41. Okay. I, f- I right. feel like he's been pitching in the majors yeah, since I was forever. in like elementary school. Right. He's not 50. He's 41 years old. But today's his birthday. And the Astros had like a team meeting before their spring training workouts today. Started. Okay. And I guess they were like, yeah, it's Justin Verlander's birthday. One of the Astros minor leaguers who is at spring training is also a country musician and he played on a guitar one of his songs for Justin Verlander. One of his songs? One of his songs for Justin Verlander. Bold strategy. The guy's name is Luke Berryhill. He has... Luke sounds like a country name. He's a country guy. He's got five, four singles on Apple Music that I'm okay. looking at right now. One's called Road to the Show. Which, oh, is a, wow. which is apparently the one he played for Justin for baseball, Verlander. Yeah. But he's also got Ladies Man, Any Less, and Dance on it. Okay. So this guy is a minor league catcher, but also is pumping out country songs uh, onto Apple Music, also playing them for Justin Verlander. You want him more than the catcher you had last year. Of course. 
And you don't know anything about this guy except he plays guitar. Of course. (laughs) Martin Maldonado was terrible at baseball. (laughs) You want this guy? Yes, of course. (laughs) You want Luke. Which, by by the way, I'm going to be mad about Martin Maldonado all year. The Astros owner, Jim Crane, did an interview last week where he said to the effect that they didn't get Yainir Diaz, the rookie, enough playing time. The owner of the team didn't think he was getting enough playing time? Why didn't you talk to Dusty? I don't know. Was Dusty the owner of the team? He might have been. <laughs> Dusty might have thought he was. And then, I can't who said it? Might have been one of the pitching coaches. Somebody gave a quote about, you know, oh, Yainer Diaz, he's going to have to, he's going to call his own game. Like, we're not right. going to call it from the right. dugout. He's going to call it. But he's going to have to work uh, hard to get on the same page as the veterans, like Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez and all that. He could have been doing that last year. Yeah, he could have been warming up. But Dusty Baker didn't yeah. let him catch a single game pitched by Verlander or Framber Valdez last season. Could have, could have spent half the season preparing. I mean, Verlander didn't get there till after the trade deadline, but could have spent half the season working with Framber Valdez. I wouldn't have been shocked if Dusty, Dusty thought he was the owner. Oh, my God. Everybody in this organization is like, you know, this kid's got He should have played more last year, except the one guy who made that decision <laughs> Who made the lineup year. out each day. Nobody came down and said, you know what? Let's give the rookie some more playing yeah. time instead of the worst hitter in baseball. Dusty, the real owner, wants this guy playing. Oh, my God. We, uh, we missed a uh, Berry Hill concert last year apparently oh, did we well not not necessarily a concert <laughs> but at the players trust uh playmakers classic fundraiser here in las vegas he performed some of his songs i mean he's apparently only got four of them was verlander uncomfortable at this moment that's that's what i'm thinking because i I'd be kind of uncomfortable if he sat down to play road to the show right i don't I've been think the show for 30 years right i don't think <laughs> i would want luke Berryhill playing some of his own original music for my birthday i'd be like no, this I is thought, a bad birthday yeah, this is not good i don't even know if verlander knows who luke Berryhill is the guy's a minor leaguer like he's at spring training like right he's around verlander probably has been in the past before but like does justin verlander know who one of the catchers is on the triple a team no. or the double a team that's CEA needs to reach out to him and get Road to the Show as their uh, one of their songs on it the baseball game. It might be a game. bad song, Danny. Mm, I it don't think might it is. Suck. I don't think it does. How do you, How do you know? know? I'm gonna listen to it after He's this show. He's a minor show. league catcher. Come back with it tomorrow to open the show. Okay. Yes. Come back to Road. Barry Road's gonna get some. Yeah, with Road to the oh, Show. Believe it. If he uh, makes it up to the majors. Every single game he plays, the next morning we're, <laughs> we're starting going road the show. To the show. <laughs> we're starting the show with a different song of his. You're gonna He's only play, got four. You're going to play his songs and his highlights, Yep. which will be you went 0 for 4 today with a ground out to second, but we got the highlight of it because oh, yeah. it's Luke Berryhill and his four songs playing to Justin Verlander for his birthday.